Hey, it's Bernsey. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Lower Decks, Episode 7, Much Ado About Boimler. It stopped making that noise. That was the most important part, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> We continue our side trek, if you will, through uh, Lower Decks, which I am, uh, I, I have to say, Paul, full disclosure, I will not talk about any of it because I know at this point you haven't watched past this, but I've, I couldn't help myself any longer and I watched through all the rest of the episodes and I might make you record all of those like next week, just so we can get, cause I, I, mean, I want to, I mean, you, I want you need to, to talk about those. You need to put some points into your will saving throws though, I suppose. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's I, I'm I feel like all of these episodes here towards the end, like this one in particular, I I've watched this one multiple times for this podcast and I've watched it a couple more times just for fun. Yeah, this is um, fun. This because is I, fun. I, I yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. So. I, I don't want to bury the lead on this one. So um, did you look up who voices both the dog and Durga? No, uh-uh. boy, um, I'm betting that the name Jennifer Hale rings a bell for you. Oh, okay. I think I noticed. Yeah. Okay. I think I noticed Durga. Okay. Yes. Now that you mentioned that I, I, I pulled that one out. I was like, I, I'm pretty sure that's Commander Shepard. It is Commander um, Shepard. Yep. Yeah. But I didn't realize that uh, she also voiced the dog. The dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, I guess if you've got Jennifer Hale in for a recording session, you're going to get as much I, mileage as yeah, yeah. you possibly can. And you're like, Hey, could you do this dog? It's uh quasi magical or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, I could run with that. <laughs> So, yeah, the, the the essential part of this episode, you know, I mean, much ado about Boimler. The the issue is Boimler gets made weird by the transporter. Um, and also, Tendi makes a dog um, <laughs> just as a hobby in her spare time. And both of them get deemed uh, maybe, I mean, freaks, you know, like it, it's I forget. Do they they, they have I a word what for what says, they yeah, medical oddities or. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's um section they, 14 division 14 division 14 yes because they they make a reference to section 31 and they're like oh no 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 they don't deal with this it's it's section 14 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the time travel police or whatever <laughs> yes so um it, it starts with like the dog and and i love i love the fact that a like it's just tendy's a great character but i love the fact that like tendy just has no context for what a dog is um and so she's just like yeah i just made it a normal dog and like at first, everybody's like, she's pulling our leg because this dog appears to just be a regular dog. And then she leaves for one second. And doesn't it doesn't its jaw rotate 180 degrees back on itself? And then it like releases a bat or something? Yep. Or is this? Uh, I think the bat's the second one. The first one, it climbs up on the ceiling. Oh, that's right. It grows extra legs and climbs up on the ceiling. And I think Mariner's response to it is like she rolls over and goes back to sleep. And yep. she's like, yeah, wake me up if it turns into something I need to care about. Yep. <laughs> And then we're we're just kind of off, and and I forget like Boimler basically helps Rutherford with his transporter experiment because he wants to like impress put something the... else on his LinkedIn, basically, right? Yeah. Like... So I I think I also love this opening because the the main like the main driver of this episode is that the like big three, the Captain Ransom and Shax, 
are off on this like secret stealth mission to mm-hmm. plant a plant. <laughs> yep. And, and you don't, I don't think they, do they say right away that it's a plant or I think it's after they hail them when they're on the mission. And then well, the captain is like, well, we might have to plant this. No, Cause they're like time. dressed in all black and they're doing these like special ops training, but the captain is carrying a plant um, while they're doing that at the very start. <laughs> and um, yeah. So I think that's the conceit. The whole episode is that like, it's a secret mission, which I love. Um, Cause then they don't dwell on it at all. They're just did like, you, did you catch also the reference? Like the, there's a very clear visual reference that they're the jumpsuits that they're all wearing and the cave that they are in. Did you catch what that I was did a not. reference to? So those are basically the exact same getup that Picard and Crusher are in right before they get oh, captured in chain of command. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the cave backdrop even kind of looks like uh, wow. okay. the set that they called Planet Hell, which was always basically whenever we need an underground cave filled with rocks, it was just like stage nine on the Paramount lot yep. or whatever, where they're like, yeah, whatever, oh, random alien cave. Sure. Um, like, v- again, visually, this show just like gets so many of those little details, right? <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> that I literally burst out laughing when I saw all of them in frame and the cave background there. And then they were wearing the black jumpsuits. I was yeah, like, oh, my like God. Jumping around and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But I think it's a great way to just get them off the ship so that you could have um, this other crew come on. Yes. To do things for a bit. Um, and also break up the, the, the main four again. Um, I think this is another, like it's, it's, it was in this episode where it's to the point of like, boy, do they just have like four, um, you know, spinners or dice or something? And they're like this week, Mariner is hanging out with, oh, no one. And Tendi is hanging out with, oh, Boimler. Um, yep. And they're just like going through it and, you know, the first few episodes, you're like, oh, cool. Like, Tendi and Rutherford are always going to be paired up on a plot, and, and Mariner and Boimler are always going to be paired up. But they very quickly break that. Um, and this is, I don't think Boimler and Tendi have just been on a side plot before, um, but it works, right? Because they're very, very different characters still. Um, they're both like by the book's characters, but in very, very different ways, right? Uh, like yeah. you said, Tendi is much is much more innocent uh, in in so many ways, and Boimler is so much like there's going to be a mutiny, so I better go tell someone about it, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what what do they keep saying to the uh, the freaks? Something like oh, freaks um, fight back, yeah. Freaks fight back, yeah, yeah. Because like they they basically uh, on the ship after he tattles on all of the freaks who are about to mutiny on this weird, you know. Uh, section or, or division 14 ship uh, the guy goes and quells the uprising and then is like you should all try to be more like Ensign Brad Boimler <laughs> yep. and then he just like looks at him and he's like freaks fight back <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, the voice on that that was um, I think that was just a main cast doing that one if I remember right um, yeah it was Tascatory uh, just doing another voice but that was a great voice on that, the command officer, the, the division 14 officer. Yes. Um, I also love the voice work on the, um, the command, the ensign who was half aging and half, uh, de-aging. <laughs> yes. Um, Nolan North did the voice on that one. Um, so he's back oh, on really? another voice, <laughs> but, um, just great. Yeah. Again, just having fun with it. Like, yeah. Especially when you get a ship of people who have had all these accidents because these, these accidents happen all the time. Um, in Starfleet and to think that like oh yeah we just have a ship that goes and picks them up and then takes them to a place to cure them um, 
that would be a thing that would happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I love the idea that it's just like um, what we're, what we're beginning to see is that, you know, all of the things that happen to, you know, the various enterprises or, or Voyager or any of like the hero ships, you know, in, in, you know, Star Trek series, what we're beginning to see is like, that's not happening because this is where the main characters are. This is happening to every Starfleet ship everywhere, right? Mm -hmm, You've got mm -hmm. a ship filled with people that have crews that have run into the same weird ass space anomalies or strange space contagions or, or what have you. And this is just a ship filled with like all of those people where they're just like, we don't know what to do with you. So uh, there's a facility that processes like everybody who just gets weird, uncurable uh, space diseases or maladies. <laughs> and I love that. Like, I, I love the fact that it's just like, yeah, Starfleet, just you're going to serve on a ship and randomly you'll probably get half mega aging and de-aging. You know, like, <laughs> yep. this is a thing that can happen to you. Like, sorry. Did you catch, Um, yeah, I, it was on my second watch to, through too that um, I caught that like he's wearing, the child side of him is wearing stilts, obviously, because his, yep. his legs and arms are getting shorter. It's like, man, those small things, those small things. <laughs> I I think, you know, again, I, I think I've made this reference uh, on the podcast before, but this really does remind me of just like the writer's room of classic Simpsons, where it feels like the stuff they go over because because these episodes are so limited in scope. It feels like we're getting the third, fourth, fifth, or even sixth pass of this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, where yeah, somebody's yeah. like, Oh no, no, no. You know what, what we really need to do is the, like half of him's de-aging, right? So he's got to have stilts, you know, right? Like yep. it's that extra like care of attention and detail that they get in all these different pieces for both the comedy parts and the, the Star Trek parts that I think are great. And, and like I referenced chain of command earlier, and this isn't the only chain of command thing, right? Because like the whole concept of having a guest captain, right is like also from uh from chain of command in fact don't they make a jellico reference at some point don't they say something about captain edward jellico um oh boy, because jellico jellico is the name of the captain yeah, who took yeah. over the enterprise for those two yeah. uh, those two parts of that episode uh, it was uh, ronnie cox right yep ronnie cox yep so it's uh, again, they're they're just they're reverential to the Star Trek material. They get all the references right. They get the visual design right. And I just I love the idea of just like, you know, they refer to him as a babysitter captain, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that like the main captain and command crew is off, so we got a babysitter captain. No, I, I had the thought while watching this that like this feels like if you would just if this was an episode of TNG as the big the the like big picture plot elements. It would still be a good episode of TNG, right? Like, oh, yeah. It feels mm-hmm. very tracky. It, it's tracky track. Um, yep. And they're hitting all those notes. They're hitting them right. Yeah. Um, both well, plots the, are quite good. The and the, it, and it, the farm plot and the um, oh, what's the other ship? Um, the oh, ship that crap. gets destroyed. It's um. Boy, also they destroy a ship a week. Let's toss that out there. The the Rubido. <laughs> the Rubido. Uh, yeah. The crew of the Rubido. Yeah. Um, that's a good plot too. It was also it was another California class ship, right? It was uh, it was the same style as uh, as. Um, I was going to ask if you knew what the style of, and I didn't look it up this time, but the style of the ship for the um, the Division fourteen ship. Oh, I didn't look it up. Well, I think I did, but I I'm trying to remember. I I didn't remember what it is. Um, it is a. It had a. Did you catch though that it had a, it had an NX designation on it? I did not. So 
Okay. So here's a here's a ship nerd moment. Okay. Hang on. Let's go for it. Let's go down this rabbit hole. Um, the NX designation through Star Trek history has been used uh, basically essentially the first time we see the NX designation is in Star Trek three, uh, the search for Spock. Uh, when the Enterprise returns to space dock after getting the crap beaten out of it by the Reliant in, in Wrath of Khan, right? So the Enterprise is coming into the dock and they have this big reveal of like, oh, behold, my friends, the great experiment, the USS Excelsior. The USS Excelsior does not have an NCC designation. It has an NX2000 designation, meaning that uh, NX is established at that point as an experimental or Pathfinder style ship. Um, so... Basically, if there is a bunch of gear that is installed on this ship that is like either off the books or like hyper experimental or just like out on the bleeding edge, it's not given an official registry as an NCC ship. It is instead given an NX. Um, the USS Defiant was also an NX dash serial number ship. Um this is then later brought into Star Trek Enterprise as I think that them trying to retcon this is basically saying this is an homage to the original Pathfinder Starfleet ship, the Warp 5 NX class starship. Hmm. Um, so even that is like this huge deep cut nerd reference where it's like, oh, Division 14 deals with like experimental stuff and like they're coming out of this weird wormhole to pick up like a crew member. Yeah, of course, it's got it's it's like an off books like turbo experimental style ship like it doesn't look like your standard starfleet ship no, it's, it's a got a very cool looking ship it is yes um yeah. i did just look it up um the ship is the ostler and it is an ostler type class yep um and you're right the registry was nx75300 yep so i believe what that what that pretty much establishes is that um so they got that right too that, that basically the nx is the pathfinder right so um, the NX 2000 eventually became the NCC 2000. It's an Excelsior class ship. It was the USS Excelsior. Uh, the, the defiant was an NX dash, whatever. It's a defiant class starship. It was the pathfinder for that class. So I believe every pathfinder style ship is given the NX designation as well. Um, I think it is eventually like if it's recommissioned fully, it's supposed to get the NCC, uh, given to it, but that never happened with the defiant. But anyway, that's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down, but just like <laughs> that whole, the idea that they even put that on the whole registry, right. Is like, again, that's a deep cut that like nerds like me are going, ha cool. And most people are like, all right, whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you hit a lot of the notes in this when I went to the page for like NX ships, the constellation, Excelsior, Bradbury, defiant, Prometheus, Osler. Um, some other ones in there too. Some, yeah, enterprise stuff, but yep. wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There's my ship nerd moment for you right there. Um, cool. Yeah. So I <laughs> it's mean, it's a cool just, ship. It is. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, there's, there's basically, you know, the, the dual plot that's happening here is basically the, the babysitter captain is here to kind of give us more backstory about, um, you know, to, to tell us a little bit more about Mariner, right? Like we're continually fleshing out this idea that, and, and we've, we've gotten this in other places, but basically Mariner is like sandbagging um, the fact that she's pretty great. Like the thing that scares her the most, and this is again, a callback to prior episodes is like getting promoted out of lower decks. She doesn't want to have to deal with being in command, being in charge. And, and eventually we get the reveal that she's on purpose trying to act like a dunce in front of this, this guest captain who is somebody she went to the Academy with because she basically can tell from the moment the, the guest captain appears on the ship that, Oh, this person's probably going to try to promote me off of the Cerritos and into some other thing that I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think this is a good arc. And yeah, having new characters to sort of flesh out that backstory is just great. And they do fun stuff too, frankly. Well, and the, the conclusion of this episode is pretty exciting too. But before we get there, we've got to deal with the, the you know, again, we kind of alluded to it, but the, the insurrection on, uh, you know, on the ship that's supposedly taking them to the farm. I love the scene where, where it's basically, you know, right before the uprising happens, you know, it's like, this is the farm, you know, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, the people on this ship are on the opinion that uh, the farm that they're being taken to, where it's like a big day spa where people will take care of you is a lie. And this big, scary kind of off the books looking starship, is basically a prison for for all of these people and i I just i love the fact that boimler's reaction to this is to go tell the principal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just uh the most on-brand thing uh, that can happen i think that's the plot that drives the other plot because the uh, the end of the other plot is using rutherford solution um but yeah well and i mean so so then the the main plot you know i mean that that we've got is is going back to um basically the Rubido is believed to not be in that big of trouble um, until they mm-hmm. beam aboard the ship and they find out that like everything's powered off. And I, I actually really like that scene too, where they find everybody, you know, in the cargo bay and they're like, Oh God, what are you doing? You're turning everything on. Like right as all the lights come back mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. And then this entity, you know, starts ripping the ship apart. Right. Um, again, to your point where all of this would make a pretty killer TNG episode. <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is, this is all stuff that would be, you know, just fine in perhaps, you know, that, that hypothetical season eight, if they ever decided to do another season of, of TNG, it would, it would, it would work. And then we basically like have, we have that f- flip of the script, right. Where all of a sudden, um, you know, there there's there's that point where mariner decides to drop the facade yep, yep. and turn into you know action mode right and and again kind of that that reveal that well she she knows what she's doing um and they have that very frank conversation between her and and you know the visiting captain where she's like look i'll continue to help you out and save the day as long as you promise not to promote me <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's like done and done so they heroically rescue the crew and to bring it back to the beginning of the episode um the only way they're able to rescue the crew is through the tweaks that rutherford made to mm-hmm. the transporter the the byproduct is that everybody is out of phase just like boimler is and so when they beam back into the the transporter room they're all just like louder than all get out it's just cosmetic it's just cosmetic yeah exactly but but i got i got rid of the sound that was that was the most annoying yeah there's not much rutherford in this one but um they make good use of him Mm -hmm. right it's all the transporter stuff Uh, now i have i have a question for you too the um basically the thing that was was tearing the rubido apart from the inside out was some sort of basically energy-based space creature Mm -hmm. um did it remind you of anything? Did that Farpoint, pre- right? Yeah, Encounter at Farpoint. Like, yep. I, I don't know if that was a purposeful homage, like if they're meaning I mean for that to be that thing, but I it really so. feels pretty <laughs> deliberate. Yeah. I don't know how it wouldn't be a purposeful homage, but yeah, um, yeah I, I, I had that thought um, that this is what that would look like if it hadn't been done. I mean, I think this looks better, obviously, um, but... <laughs> I'm I'm looking back at the, one of my favorite quotes from this episode. Um, I I just pulled this off of the memory alpha page because I, I I was looking through, but um, 
<laughs> it's basically Mariner and Rutherford having a conversation right as the, the Rubido is being torn apart. And Mariner says, Rutherford, we need you to transport. Uh, we need your transporter thing up and running now. His response is, it made Boimler weird. And her response <laughs> is, boim us out of here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, did we talk about, like, he tries to go, the first thing he does is try to go to the bridge and pretend like nothing's wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great scene, too, but. Yeah, the uh, the that was a good exchange between Mariner and Boimler too, because Mariner's like, "Dude, what's wrong with you?" And he's like, "Nothing, <laughs> nothing. I'm just phasing. No biggie. Uh, disagree. Kind of a biggie." <laughs> oh, and they boy. order him to the sick bay. So yeah, the um, I also think this is a great episode because when you get to pull in these other uh, these other people that that Ramsey brings with, um, having a Vulcan around is just always so much fun. Yes. Um, and I'm sure there's Vulcans on uh, the Cerritos that um, I think there, there's been at least one that we've interacted with. Uh, but having one that could just come in and like be so Vulcan um, and just like it, not even it, it's just saying things to Mariner, like when Mariner forgets the tricorders and stuff, like it, it's just saying it's so deadpan as a Vulcan, not to be mean to Mariner just because like it is the thing that is true. Um, that like you forgot these things, you left them in the place where they are not useful or whatever is said right. there. It is right. so great to have a Vulcan around. Um, well, and that that it does kind of <clears throat> this episode sort of reminds me that that dynamic is not present because honestly, it's I, I wonder if maybe they avoided that just because they wanted to see if the comedy could kind of stand on its own because some of the really like great moments that were were kind of you know grin inducing from TOS and the TOS era movies was that like dynamic specifically between bones and Spock, right? Yeah. The... I mean, and yeah. Leonard Nimoy just so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good as, as Spock. And I mean, obviously, but yeah, there's just so much there when you pair these characters. Um, so yeah, it would be nice to have a Vulcan around more, but you know, maybe I say that about a lot of the series because um, aside from, aside from TOS with Spock and then Tuvok, um, there's not a lot of Vulcans, right? Yeah, I mean, if if uh, you know, we we've <laughs> you and I have had a conversation off podcast about this, but there's also you know Enterprise uh, because sure. there's um, you know fa- famously there's uh, that's the, you know there there's a Vulcan science Are officer you searching there as for well. The name? Are you trying to pull the name and? Is that the clicking on <laughs> and and failing? Yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that speaks to how memorable. Um, I mean, I've not watched Enterprise. We've talked about that. But, um, I would. To Paul is is her name. Um, to Paul, I didn't okay. have to look it up, but yes, to Paul. But um, yeah, I mean, Spock and Tuvok are um, very memorable and very well played by both of their actors. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and and I would say. Um, it's probably less memorable overall just because enterprise is less memorable overall, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, there's, um, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential there and, and Vulcans being a founding member of the Federation. Um, I almost wonder if maybe they're, again, there may be just, I, I think what, what amazes me about this series is they're showing an incredible amount of restraint and like, they they lean all into all into this stuff but it's like you realize in how much ground they cover in these episodes how much stuff they really do have the opportunity to mine and it's like 
you know, this this show seems like it could have multiple very strong seasons. Well, um, if they do it right, you know, if if they if they can keep keep this balance of being reverential but also um, you know, also parodying like the, well, well, the source and I material. Think- this is a great example of one of those places where like bringing in um, a, a, a different crew um, to command the Cerritos for a little bit while the main crew is doing something else is a great way to just keep that fresh. But um, yeah, it's also the amount of world building they're doing too is just insane. The idea of, right. The first thing or one of the first things they do, right. They go down to this planet um, that I don't know that they even name uh, or I guess they do. Okay. I'm looking at memory alpha. They do name it Quapa. Um, but then they talk to King Phibius and it's like, oh, wow, that's a really cool character. Um, and like a really cool animation. Um, and he's on screen for like two seconds and it's like, bye, do, do the thing you're doing. Um, it's like, I want to see more King Phibius. I, I think this is one of the first episodes we recorded, but it's, it's, they're really freed by how much it's just, they're asking somebody to draw a thing versus Michael Westmore to come up with prosthetics to, to cover. Exactly. Or, you know, exactly. Right? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I, I really liked this episode. Um, I feel like this is maybe one of the strongest. I feel like maybe the, what was the one before this that we just recorded? That one was maybe not quite as strong, you know, right. Um, Terminal provocations. One? Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. maybe my weakest so far. Yeah, but this one feels like they kind of got got their footing back again, um, and and they're they're really getting comfortable with with this formula. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and uh, now I I just want to finish the season so we can talk about the rest of them because I like I said I I admit I've already skipped ahead and I know where we're going, and I'm excited for you to get there too so we can talk about that. Because <laughs> there's some good stuff ahead. Oh, man, I, I I guess another point on like the world building. Um, I, I was just reminded too, as I was looking through voices, that um, of the three um, people that Ramsey brings with her, one of them is a Trill, which I think we've seen Trill just wandering around um, the Cerritos before too. Yep. Um, but um, I mean, the, the only time Trill has come up, it has to be DS9, right? I don't think any of the other series. The the Trill were originally established in an episode of TNG. Um, really? They looked different. Um, their makeup was actually like they had like prosthetics and stuff glued to their heads. So the the DS9 Trill uh, was a little bit of a retcon um, because they're I believe the the premise of that episode was that the Trill host was damaged. Oh, um, that's right. Because it was I just looked up the episode the host. The yep. episode was called literally the host. Yeah, that's um, right. That is so, a season four episode. Yep. Yep. So, um, but yeah, there, there was a bit of a retcon there in terms of like their visual appearance, but I mean, again, that was basically an alien of the week. Right. And then DS nine sort of did what they did with a lot of things, which is like, they, they took that and and sort of ran with it. And we have multiple episodes now that have dealt with like Trill society, right? Like so much so that there's an episode of DS nine that dealt with like the politics of being joined versus non-joined, which is also a really interesting dynamic. And like, again, there's just, it's fascinating to me to see a writing team like this that clearly wants to play in this universe, take it up and run with it because like Ronald D Moore, who was a longtime um, writer and eventually like lead writer um, of star Trek, the next generation, deep space nine, he departed the star Trek franchise around Voyager. Um, Cause I think he was just kind of burned out. He had said he kind of began to feel like he was penned in by its own continuity. 
right? Like every time they would come up with a thing to do, there would be like a bunch of reasons not to do it. Sure. But I, f- but I feel like uh, Lower Decks sort of gives us the opposite, right? Where it's like, also, if you just kind of want to play around in that universe, there's so much stuff to pull from that you can then just sort of expand upon. Um, because even though we have had, you know, a series that had a Trill main character and ultimately two Trill main characters, right? You know, spoilers. For sure. Um, you know, we really only have had a couple of episodes that have dealt with like Trill society and like there's more stuff you can do there. So it's like there, there's just within the Star Trek universe, because there's so much, you know, over over the course of so much time, there's just a lot of different things where you're just like, maybe we just go play around with this um, for a while. And this format is perfect for that because it's it's like you don't have to get too deep because you don't have to be like TNG level deep. And you can also be tongue in cheek about it because it's a comedy show like it's just a lot of fun, I think. Well, and yeah, to that point, like you don't have to talk about this being a trill because the Star Trek fans are going to get it. They're going to yes. be like, oh, wow, cool. That's a trill. <laughs> and yep. you don't have to put a hat on it. Um, you just have to have it there and be filling out that universe slowly yeah my wife and i were having a conversation about um about this show and uh i've i've you know we're not going to talk about the mandalorian but i've I've watched the mandalorian season two episode one and i feel like both of those shows like for for drastically different reasons both of them i think work at this level of like it's accessible where it's just like the way the stories play out and the way the characters are made like you can follow along and have fun even if you're not a diehard fan but then if you are a diehard fan, there's these scenes that are so visually rich that like there's all these different things that they're not specifically calling attention to. But you just go, oh, that's that thing. Like, right. Like that's because the because the, their respective universes are so dense, you can have the world populated with all these things that just all they have to do is be there to reinforce the fact that, oh, I'm in this universe, like yep. I'm doing this thing. Yep. Uh, and I feel like both of those shows do that very, very well. Um and and this show in particular, um, you know, I, I think there's a reason why longtime Trek fans respond so positively to this episode or to, to this series and why longtime Trek fans sometimes struggle with more of the newer Trek, like serious endeavors, um, because this this show speaks the language, you know, right. I think a little bit more natively than than the, the serious, you know, dramas do. But yep. but yeah, so anyway, um, that was much ado about Boimler. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, this is a continuing good continuing to have a lot of fun with this so we'll be back next time with uh season uh, episode eight which is um i'm looking ahead here what is veritas veritas so until then uh feel free to find us uh, where we are on the world wide web it's hi-fi sci-fi podcast all one word.com there are links on that uh, website to our facebook page to our Twitter page um, and a direct link to the RSS feed where you can download uh, the episodes or you can find us on any podcatcher of choice. We repeatedly say this, just uh, tell your friends about it. Give us a positive five-star review on whatever platform you're downloading us on. We would greatly appreciate it. So again, you could give us reviews on platforms of your choice and just randomly put in quotes from these episodes or, you know, <laughs> I think we've even tossed some of those out, but uh, yeah. I can't think of any from this episode, but if you wanted to on this one, uh, just tell us, do not trouble yourself with the journey. The farm cures all. Um, you know, sure. Go ahead and leave that Amanda. one out there if you wanted to. That was, man, such good voice work on that character. <laughs> so until next time, I'm Bernsey. And I'm Paul. And uh, just make sure that uh, you don't get caught by Division 14. <laughs> or if you do, they actually take you to the farm. You still get to ride in a cool ship.
You do. And it's <laughs> goodbye, the dog. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even talk about the farewell with Tendi and the dog. Oh my god. Because we talked about it at the front. We did. That's true. But I mean, again, good job, Jennifer Hale. I mean <laughs> I did not know that was her. That's so funny. <laughs>